Well, hello and welcome back to the Regiment Chronicles. Thanks for joining us again for episode three. Today we're going to be talking about oceans, uh, their vastness, their significance. But before we get into that, I want to introduce our guest for today. First, we have Corbin. Hi. Uh, we have Carson. Welcome. Jace. Salutations. And three-time returning guest, Gabe. Hello. So the first thing that I want to get us started off here is kind of the origins of the ocean um, and how the oceans formed. Of course, we know that the Earth is very, very old. And uh, what I want to start off here is this kind of point of information here that 3.8 billion years ago, the oceans formed as a result of a process known as degassing. So as the Earth was being hit by several of these meteorites across um, you know, the poles, across the equator, water vapor was entering the atmosphere and eventually that formed into liquid water and because of this as we know life started to form and that happened about 3.5 billion years ago it's quite a miracle that it did happen um, and I want to kind of ask you guys what your thoughts are on the uniqueness of life on planet earth well I mean it, it certainly comes about as a factor of both the temperature and the general state that earth was in at this period right like most planets when they're going through this phase like if you were to look at pluto pluto has lots of water on it right um but pluto's water is all very it, it's, it's ice it's frozen and that water therefore at this point could not be valid for life life could not use that um, right. it can't really form as a result of that purely because it's so much further away from the sun the earth you know in its current state at that time period about four billion years ago i believe was actually pretty warm and that allowed liquid water to be present um through that through that degassing process and that's really what gave rise to life and that is not common you know on a galactic universal scale but i don't think it makes us unique if you think about the vastness of the universe there must be some place where this happened as well on a grand galactic scale the probability that this one thing happened twice right. is it goes up Right, and especially when we look at planets in terms of their, we talk about the Goldilocks zone, if you've heard that term before, which is the area where liquid water can form. Now, that's not the end all in terms of life forming, but there's definitely millions and millions of planets just in our galaxy that are in this zone. For sure. And I mean, if you're looking at something like, say, take um, the Drake equation. And so the Drake equation is... Uh, basically saying you have a value n which is the number of civilizations which um which humans could communicate or in, in some variations of it which life right. could communicate which life exists um so in this case that would be our planet with liquid water that sort of thing right basically that that's saying that that uh value is equal to the mean rate of star formation times the fraction of the stars that have planets times the average number of planets that could support life right uh per star with planets and then the fraction times the fraction of life supporting planets times the fraction of planets with life where that develops intelligence where life has liquid water present where life can develop i mean you would think that that's going to produce a really small number but generally speaking on a galactic scale it's pretty huge so while we're not necessarily unique we are the only one we know of that has life so to some extent um liquid water definitely led to that condition 
Right, and we, we've talked about space in our first episode and the vastness of space, and I want to get into uh, more towards the ocean here and talking about its vastness, and I want to talk about something that we all think about but maybe not acknowledge to the extent of space, which is how little we truly know about the oceans. We've done significant testing and um, satellite and telescoping of different bodies on Earth and, of course, on the moon, and it's interesting that we have a lack of focus on the ocean, which is really such a close body of exploration, such a close point of research. Um, and kind of just some statistics here for you. Uh, 71% of the Earth is covered by water. Uh, it contains 96% of the Earth's living space and 80% of the living organisms. More than 80% of the entire ocean remains unexplored. So when you compare that to significant portions of the moon, which have been uh, telescoped and mapped, it's interesting that we have such a lack of knowledge uh, of the ocean. And I want to open that. Well, I think the thing with the oceans is that they're incredibly hard to explore. With space, there's nothing out there. Right. And we get most of our observations, aside from the moon, from just telescopic data, scanning, whatever. You can't do that with the ocean. You have to send a camera down there because sonar waves, even in submarines, they're extremely limited in their ability to right. scan. And you can't even get a radio signal down to a submarine. They have to break surface just to be able to contact. And so it's for that reason. It's not from a lack of focus on the oceans that we know so little. It's from just it's super difficult to even get down there. And even with the same funding that we or the same rigor that we gave space exploration, it would be probably 10 times as hard just to scan all of the ocean. Right. And I guess more what I meant was that our lack of focus kind of comes from what we were talking about in the sense that it's so hard to explore the oceans. There's such extreme conditions that it's it's kind of easier to pull back and look at other things that we can explore. Naturally, obviously, yeah, there's water pressure under the ocean, which is incredibly incredibly massive that just makes it so much harder to send down any sort of observational craft or let alone right. a person i do think that it's crazy how the ocean is so unexplored but we live on the same planet as it right it's um so big it just hurts your brain to even think about what could be down there what thing what what massive things that could be absolutely terrifying are down there and how little we know about some species that probably exist right in the oceans. So. The, i mean that being said the general consensus is that like at this point the species we're going to be finding in the deep ocean aren't going to be you know big leviathans that's not really what we're looking right, for anymore right. the main thing that we're finding i mean in terms of biodiversity the ocean i would just guess off the top of my head probably constitutes a very large percent of total species on the planet i mean once again because it covers so much of earth's right. surface i would probably venture guess probably contains the majority of earth species it certainly the, contains you know, the majority of, of living organisms well in terms of biomass definitely right you'd think trees and forests on earth but you know the ocean has that too in right. kelp forests and seaweed and it has an equivalent amount of growth actually in a lot of places um, but but even when when you're looking at like species that have yet to be found in in the deep ocean, you're not really most for the most part. It's not really visible species. It's mostly right. you know uh, zooplankton and other sorts of very 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 small maybe maybe small fish, but like anglerfish and other sorts of like sharks and megalodons. Those right. 
those are much easier to a find and b we can use certain tests to basically rule them out as right. things that are working down there per se and i mean the like 20 less than 20 percent of the ocean has being explored statistic is true but it is misleading we definitely know the shape of the ocean yeah with sonar the issue yeah exactly the issue is just the volume of it right and the fact that that statistic is encompassing the volume of the ocean in terms of the volume of the ocean there's a lot of that that you can't explore because once again there's no surface for you to tack onto right. when mapping that it's that that's where the difficulty comes in and that's once again yeah with combined with pressure combined with lack of radio signal combined with other things it makes it a very 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 difficult task right and you mentioned kelp and kind of that in terms of the ocean significance another statistic i want to point you guys towards is the oceans hold an estimated 80 percent of the earth's mineral resources and that's kind of an important statistic when we think about the future of ocean exploration and kind of the science importance behind the ocean so when i think about that i think of of course jobs and and then further i think about wind energy and i want to open that guy's to you in terms of the importance of wind energy as we start to sort of move into a more sustainable, more renewable, resourced humanity? Well, I think the importance of ocean wind energy has already been fully shown by the world's governments. If you look any Bay Area, you will find wind turbines there, especially right. like in the Netherlands where there are, they're right there. There are tons of wind turbines and they produce so much energy for especially those coastal cities it's difficult to get that stuff inland right now it's just far more windy at sea there's no natural things to obscure it and so it's a huge untapped source of energy that we really need to apply thinking about like the minerals like you said i think it will end up being very important eventually when we start to run out of things and that should be something that we should start trying to develop soon as a way to find all these minerals and things that we're going to need eventually right. to help us in the near future. Well, we've started using, I mean, we've been doing this for a while now, oil rigs and right. extracting those resources from the bottoms of you know, seas and oceans. But when you're actually trying to set up, say, some sort of advanced mining operation at the bottom of the sea, there's so many issues. And that's, I mean, naturally why we haven't done it yet, because it's not a straightforward process you're dealing with. You know, millions of tons of water right. have to navigate. Right, and you mentioned oil rigs. I want to get into kind of the impact of humans on the ocean and kind of our, really our negative impacts for the majority. But before that, I want to talk about the ocean as a platform for scientific discovery. When we think about unexplored bodies on the earth. We think of the ocean, of course, but we also think about things like the Amazon rainforest, which is kind of a more terrestrial body that we still have yet to explore the majority of. And unlike the ocean, it is, of course, on land, but it contains varying different and extremely different to the ocean forms of life. So when I think about the ocean, when I think about the Amazon rainforest in that light, I think about what kinds of medicines, what kinds of other scientific discoveries we could find in these bodies if we simply explored them further. I mean, I think the key term there you said is simply explore them further, right? I mean, of course, it's not simple, but right. neither is also any science. And I mean, yeah, of course, you're looking at discoveries. I mean, 20 years ago, right, the discovery of, you know, non-photosynthetic things living at the bottom of the sea was fantastic in its own right. right. But even just the idea of being able to, you know, 
chemically processed geothermal energy as a means to fuel life, that doesn't necessarily have huge implications, but it's certainly an interesting um, interesting premise. And in terms of medicine, yeah, you mentioned like, I mean, penicillin just came from the accidental observation of a fungus, basically, right? Right. And the idea that there are enzymes or certain chemical compounds or certain things, you know, within those within creatures that could be living down there that's very 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 important to you know humanity as a whole like look at blue whales right right um blue whales should die of cancer by all sense of purposes blue whales have a fantastically terrible surface area to volume ratio they have a lot of cells and those cells should be dying of cancer just statistically speaking a blue whale and sharks sharks are the same they should have so much cancer in them right but they don't and for whatever reason, um, we have yet to figure this out, but you know, it could have huge implications for cancer treatment, cancer prevention, true, yeah. understanding cancer, because these animals clearly have found a way to deal with it because they should have died from cancer. Right, and I think that kind of brings me, when we think about blue whales, I think we think about the extraordinary distances that they travel both under the water and of course across the water, traveling from Alaska to Mexico and across the Pacific and other oceans. And it's interesting when we think about their journeys because it kind of reminds us of the extreme conditions of the oceans. We mentioned that before and the extreme pressures. And we talk about the feats of human exploration that we've accomplished so far. We think about the Mariana Trench, Challenger Deep, which is the deepest point on the Earth's oceans. And we think about the bacterias and animals that live in these extreme temperatures, extreme pressures, and extreme conditions overall in the oceans. And I wanted to ask you if that brings you hope for maybe the prospect of life on other planets uh, or the prospect of life survival. Yeah, so, I mean, life is incredibly robust. If it exists, it will probably find a way to survive. Right. Um, and at the bottom of the ocean, there's so many very interesting things that we yet to discover, but that we have found and that we are looking at. And I'm sure if we manage to find a planet with liquid water and that had the right recipe for life, there's a very high likelihood that it, it would be able to survive in whatever sort of extreme situation is thrown at it. Right. Um, the bottom of the Marianas Trench and the Challenger Deep, it's obviously an incredibly inhospitable zone, yet, um, yet we still know that um, there's things to be explored down there that are likely beating the impossible odds. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I think, like you said, life is robust, life is able to survive. But when I think about the survival of life, of course, immediately I think humans. We're not the only thing on Earth, but um, of course I'm a human, so I kind of have a precedent for humans. But, <laughs> but Sure, we are the only thing on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So, But the threat to humanity right now one of the things that is most threatening, in my opinion, is climate change. And when we talk about ocean in its relation to climate change, we think about rising sea level and possibly coral reef death. We talked about oil spills earlier, and I want to bring us, before we discuss that, to a statistic here. By 2100, the ocean is very likely to warm by two to four times with low emissions and five to seven times with high emissions. So depending on how we choose to change and how we choose to shift 
whether that's to renewable resources or whether we stay in black carbon, which is very detrimental. And I want to open that to you guys and what your thoughts are on that. Well, so obviously oceans are intertwined with climate change in a yeah. lot of ways. But for one, a statistic here, by 2050, the ocean is expected to rise. The coastline is expected to rise by about 12 inches. There's a lot that we do that affects the oceans. And there's a lot of things that we're trying to do to minimize that effect. Yet right. I think at this point, it's kind of a tough battle for us to choose to fight this climate change at this point and it's something that we are trying very hard to do obviously there's a lot of challenges and implications alongside it a lot you know plastics in the ocean and all of this that are kind of unintended consequences of our actions that we need to start managing yeah i think one of the most important parts about climate change in the ocean probably arguably maybe one of the most important that is pretty much never talked about is the change in calcification depth as a result of ocean acidification right right and so basically what what that is is right when you have uh, in your ocean which which sequesters carbon dioxide and it's it, it does that really well water is actually very good at that and that actually greatly helps in the absorption of greenhouse gases from our atmosphere. But as we've been putting more greenhouse gases in our atmosphere, so too have we been increasing the acidity of the ocean because we've been increasing the amount of CO2 in it. And so in the ocean, there's a point, uh, carbon calcification depth, where bicarbonate ions, carbonate ions, and then the dissolved CO2 gas basically kind of meld. And that's the point at which um, lots of organisms and stuff actually able to form their shells. Oh, wow. um, or in in coral, for example, it's how the polyps of the coral are able to produce the harder outer shell so that the coral can grow. And so in, in a lot of cases where you have coral reefs dying and where you have other marine life dying, that's because they're dependent on uh, a certain acidity of the ocean in order to actually take those bicarbonate and carbonate ions and actually convert them into a, you know, a calcium substance that they're able to use for their uh, shells. And right. when you raise the ocean acidification through climate change, through you know, greenhouse gases, that kills coral reefs. It kills a lot of those shell-based critters. Um, and that is, is really, really, really detrimental to those populations. Yeah, and I think the, uh, the decreasing of the um, biodiversity within the oceans the oceans don't get enough credit for just how much CO2 they actually filter. Right. We give all the credit to trees. But it's it's largely the plankton, algae, kelp, everything that lives in the ocean. After all, it's far more surface area than the land, right? right? And so when you decrease the biodiversity of the oceans, ultimately there's going to be less CO2 filtered out of the atmosphere from that. And it's just going to become an infinite cycle until you do something to stop it. Because otherwise, the more CO2 you put in, the less CO2 is going to be filtered. And then the more CO2, it, it's just a whole cycle. Right. I mean, the ocean can take CO2. The ocean will keep on taking it. The issue is the life in the ocean definitely it's a matter of, Yeah, it's a matter of filtering it. And, you know, for our purpose, we want to get CO2 out of the atmosphere. The ocean does that, but ultimately it'll end up back without the life there to use it. And not to mention that coral reefs are so important to so many millions of species in right. the ocean that live in them. If they die, so do so many other things. And I think it's very important that we do something to stop them dying. Um, I mean, when you consider coral reefs as like a photosynthetic battery, basically, for filtering, they're just as important as forests. Right. 
because again with that with that calcification they're taking that co2 and there's actually there's a specific ratio that they're able to handle they're taking that co2 and they're making it into they're, they're basically sequestering it into a rock right. into a mineral and that's how they're getting and they use that mineral that's how they that's how polyps of coral you know build their coral reefs um and that's so so essential to them but right. it's just not going to be able to happen that's what happened what's happening in you know great barrier reef in australia uh, a lot of other you know large reefs are really suffering where this carbon assimilation just can't be established as a result of too high of an amount of carbon that it kills the plants before they can use photosynthesis to power the formation of that crystalline lattice that kind of entraps it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think we think about the death of the coral reef as kind of something that's far away, but it's really closer than we think. And a lot of the research that I've done recently points in many directions to an extinction level event in terms of the amount of species that are going away at at any given year. And we think about extinction level events like the meteorite that hit the earth and killed the dinosaurs, or we think about um, events after the Cambrian explosion. But it's important to note that we are in a time where similar things are happening, and it's important to address those things as in the moment and not as something that is to come, but rather something that is happening right now and that we need to combat as opposed to preventing, but that's still an important factor in it. Um, but lastly, I want to talk about, Gabe already previously mentions it, but uh, plastic in the ocean, it's, it kind of goes along with climate change and humanity's impact on the oceans in a negative light, but we think about the great garbage patches um, across the world and across the oceans, possibly the Pacific Great Garbage Patch, which is uh, off the coast of California and near Hawaii, uh, an incredibly large amount of plastic is in this gyre. And I want to ask you, how do you think we can prevent the growth of these plastics and further the growth of the patches and plastic in everyday life just through simple actions that we do uh, at school, at home, and uh, what you think on that? I think that's the start is to just figure out what to do next. If we stop doing the stuff we were doing to get that ocean, get the trash in the ocean, right. I think it'll make it much easier to clean up and fix the problem. So making like something that can get rid of our trash and not have them all spill up in these massive disgusting piles that are killing millions of species, right. I think it's very important to look at the future of what we're going to do with it and then move on to well yeah and i mean grayson was talking about you know individual actions that you can take write letters write letters to your congressman write letters to your senators write letters to your local government make them hold corporations that are polluting the ocean accountable call them write letters do anything i mean most of these places have you know pretty solid mail departments at this point right. um they probably only have a few phone lines but you just need to talk to it you need to speak out you need to talk to the people who have the power to hold corporations that are polluting the ocean accountable because as much as every commercial would like to make it seem that it's you know it's the plastic straws that are causing the sea turtles to die it's not the plastic straws <laughs> right. that are causing the sea turtles to die it's the ocean acidification that's preventing them from forming their shells that's causing them to die that's killing more than the straws is right the issue is that it's it's not it's not you you as an individual don't matter you are not polluting the oceans you can take some solace in that. The issue is it's the corporations that you're buying from that are polluting the, right. polluting the oceans. And you need to take a political stand. You need to hold these corporations accountable. You need to 
speak to people right. who can hold the corporations accountable because unfortunately you as an individual do not have the power to change that you need to talk to people and convince people and change minds in order to actually make a real change people need to be galvanized into action and we as much as we say you know we need to limit our pollution we need to recycle more it's it's less about that and it's more about actually doing something right yeah i mean every every sunday i like to just uh, in the morning, I, I tell people this, but I'm, I'm not actually lying. I, I like to give a call to just like some local government agency and complain about something. It always gets me motivated to do my homework for whatever reason. But but seriously, just do it. You elected them, or I mean, <laughs> right. you know, your parents elected them. People you know elected them. Th this is quite literally their job. Right. I mean, call them, complain. Yeah, and I think one stunning example of that, or at least a really good motivator for people who might not believe what you're saying and say, oh, you know, I, I really don't have an effect, is the New York landfill system, which has dramatically changed in the past few decades. Um, originally, in the 1800s, New York would dump their trash, uh, 1800s and into the 1900s, would actually dump their trash into the oceans just directly, and eventually, through public support, that was banned, and now they have a really stunning example of how that can change. They burn their trash and uh, actually filter the emissions so that very little escapes and they have dramatically decreased the amount of greenhouse gases that are released via landfill buildup and via, you know, of course they create a, a tremendous amount of trash, just New York City, but New York State as a whole. And it's really a stunning example of how people can promote better welfare for humanity. Well, I want to thank all of our guests here today, Corbin, Carson, uh, Joss, and Gabe. And I want to promote again the idea that you are not alone in the fight against climate change and against protecting our oceans. And, and like Joss mentioned, uh, you can reach out to congressmen and to senators and to representatives. It's really important that you do that. And they're, that's their job. You know, that's, that's really important that we utilize their job to our benefit. So thanks for joining us and make sure to check us out for episode four coming next week. Make sure to check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, tell someone you love them, make someone smile, and goodbye.